The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Transforming Bladder Cancer Treatment, Essential Guidance for Urologists on Therapeutic Selection, Safety, and Sequencing Along the Disease Continuum. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash RMY860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Hello, I'm Ashish Kamat, Professor of Rheologic Oncology at the University of Texas M.D. Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this educational activity entitled Transforming Bladder Care Treatment, Essential Guidance on Therapeutic Selection, Safety, and Sequencing Along the Disease Continuum. Our goal today is to explore some of the recent advances in the treatment of bladder cancer from early to late-stage disease highlighting numerous options, including chemotherapy, immunotherapy, bladder preservation, FGRFR inhibitors, and antibody drug conjugates. We'll cover what these advances have meant for patients, as well as their multidisciplinary provider team. So first off, why is this important? Well, we all sort of recognize that BCG is the original cancer immunotherapy. And in fact, when there is no shortage of BCG, 1.2 million doses of BCG are used globally for bladder cancer every year. But despite this, BCG doesn't work in everybody. It has a very high initial response rates, but ultimately at about a year, 30% of patients will have recurrence of their tumor. And at about two to three years, roughly 40% of patients will have recurrence of their tumor. And even though this is improving in recent times and less recurrences are noted, it is still roughly in the range of about 30% of patients that will need another treatment after BCG immunotherapy. Multiple groups, including ours, have come together and tried to come up with predictors of response to intravesical ECG. This is just a recent um, panel publication that we put together that categorized the markers or the predictors into definitely useful, probably useful, and emerging strategies. As you can see there, we're excited about the emerging strategies, which are molecular subtypes. But the only real predictors that are definitely useful today, even in 2022, are the clinical pathological features, age, grade, stage, recurrent tumors, multiplicity, CIS, female gender, etc. We can use fish patterns and we can use genomic signatures, but for the most part, these do not supplant classic predictors. And if you look at the landscape of the evolution of therapy for urethral cancer, most of the advances in therapy have occurred in the recent decade. You can see here for the longest time, you only had chemotherapeutic cytotoxic agents. Then in 2015, 16, thereabouts, there was a slew of IO agents that were approved. Um, And of course, more recently, we have approval of EV and SG, and I'll talk about those. Um, But that's been in the advanced and metastatic setting. When it comes to the non-muscle invasive setting, for the longest time, we only had two agents, BCG and valrubicin. And it's only recently in the year 2020 that pembrolizumab was approved for the treatment of patients with non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. So why is this? Well, if you look at the classification of BCG failure, which is very important when we're designing clinical studies and when we're actually looking to see what the results of reported studies are, this was all over the place. We had patients who were classified to be BCG refractory, 
Then we had patients who are classified to be BCG relapsing. We had patients who are classified to be BCG intolerant, which actually was the easiest subgroup to classify per se. But because of these multiple definitions, regulatory bodies and investigators could not really make head or tails of what was actually being reported or read out. It was only recently that the AUA got together with several experts, um, including those at the FDA, and then two groups, the International Bladder Cancer Group and the ASCO group led by Dr. Lerner, and you can see the references here, provided advice to the FDA, which they then incorporated into their guidance document, which was finalized in the year 2018. Based on this guidance document, there was explosion of clinical trials in this disease space. Now, it's important to recognize what this definition is. So let me spend a minute here. For a patient to be considered to be BCG unresponsive, and keep in mind, this is a definition more for entry into clinical trials and for us to understand the implications of the clinical trial. But for a patient to be considered to be BCG unresponsive, he or she either has to have persistent or new T1 high-grade disease at the first evaluation at three months following induction BCG. For everybody